done by a psychologist named Dr. Henry Goddard, and he studied energy levels in children. And he used this instrument that he called an ergograph that measured the work done by specific muscle groups. And so he found that when tired children were given a word of praise or encouragement, the ergograph showed an immediate surge of new energy. And then when the children were criticized and they were discouraged, their ergograph showed their physical energy took a sudden nosedive. Now, none of us love to be criticized. I would say none of us like to be criticized. But maybe you've never really thought about what kind of effect does it really have on you. Yet on the flip side, we love being praised. It encourages us. And apparently it actually gives us new energy. And so we love being told when we're doing something well, and that might be uh, a task that we have accomplished. Maybe it can be big, maybe it can be small, but maybe you've heard the words, great job on that test, or thanks for treating your brother or sister kindly, even when they were pretty mean to you, or way to sink the game-winning shot, or way to play defense, good work on fixing up the flower bed, It, it looks beautiful. You know, thanks for going above and beyond and and completing that task, even when I didn't ask you to do that. Those words that you said to me, they really helped my day. Thank you. You maybe it's not a task, but maybe it's simply a comment based on who you are. And so, I love you, son, or you are such a great daughter. You are the coolest mom. You're the best dad. I'm impressed by your kindness to others. Or simply the phrase... I'm so proud of you. Like we love to be encouraged when we do things well. We love to be praised. Even if it's not in front of a large group, we feel valued when other people notice the things that we do or who we are. And so this word praise, it means commended or shown favorable judgment, this expression of approval. And so we use this phrase praise at church quite a bit, even talk about praise and worship and we praise God. Yeah, but praise is not just a churchy word. It's something that happens all the time between people. Like if someone does something praiseworthy, we feel that that person deserves to be honored. They, they deserve to be thanked or lifted up or even noticed because of that action. And I'll tell you, there's quite a few performances that people deserve thanks or honor or praise, but nothing comes close to God. Like God really does deserve our praise. And it's not because he's conceited. It's not because he's power hungry. Like you and I, we like to be thanked. And so does God. But the thing here is he really does deserve it all. And so today, as we look at this idea of praise in Psalm 148 through 150, I'm going to take you back to high school English classes because over and over and over again, when being taught how to write or how to speak or how to do research, there were the five W's that you were supposed to ask. And I'm sure you remember those, the who, the what, the when, the why, and the where. Some of your teachers threw it in an H as well, the how. And so you had to use these things as you were trying to do this presentation. So I want to look at those as we look at Psalm 148 through 150. And so I want to start with this idea of what, like what is, what are these chapters all about? And the what would simply be praise the Lord. 
Like maybe you heard that over and over and over again as it was being read a while ago. But the book of Psalms, it has the word praise 176 times. And 31 of those are found in these last three chapters of Psalms. A total of 29 verses, but 31 times. And each of our chapters begins with that phrase, praise the Lord, and ends with that phrase, praise the Lord. And that Hebrew word, halal, it most often means to boast, to exalt, to praise. It's connected to a shout of joy or a song of joy or even jubilation. And so over and over and over again, our psalmists, they're lifting up the God of the universe. They're placing his name higher than anyone else. And they're telling other people to do the same. So this idea of others, others, who exactly is the other? So let's look at this who, as far as again, looking at our text. So who is supposed to praise? Well, one answer in our text is angels. Angels are told to praise God. In chapter 148, verse two, it talks about all his angels or all his heavenly hosts, they're supposed to praise him. And we often see angels and heavenly beings praising the Lord. In Isaiah 6, chapter 3, we see two of them who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, we read that thousands upon thousands, and even ten thousands upon ten thousands are praising his name. In Revelation chapter 19, we see a great multitude giving praise to God. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, when the angels are giving this announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds, we see that a lot of angels are giving God to giving glory to God in the highest. And so just as the psalmist writes here, we see angels giving praise to God. But they're not the only ones. In fact, we also read about how creation is supposed to praise God. Creation. And a lot of these are found in chapter 148. So verse 3, it talks about the sun, the moon, the shining stars. In verse 4, the highest heavens and the waters above the skies. Verse 7, the great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Verse 8, lightning, hail, snow, clouds, stormy winds. Verse 9, mountains, hills, fruit trees, cedars. Verse 10, wild animals, cattle, small creatures, flying birds. Like this whole entire list from animals to weather to things going on earth, like all around and beyond, creation is told to praise God. And that's what every single thing was made for, that we would praise him. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, like John sees every creature, it says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they were all praising him. Psalm 66, 4, it says that all the earth worships you, says sings praises to you. In Isaiah 55, 12, we even see this reference to mountains and trees. They're going to be singing and they're going to be clapping their hands. And again, even at the time of Jesus, at this triumphal entry, when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on this donkey, people, they are praising Jesus. But some of the Pharisees, they do not like what is happening at this moment. And they rebuke Jesus' disciples. They're like, you need to do something about this. And Jesus responds by saying, I tell you the truth, that if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Because scripture affirms that all creation sings its praise to God. But again, that's not the only ones who are called to praise God. Who else? Well, people are. 
So people in chapter 148, verse 11, it talks about kings and nations and princes and rulers. In verse 12, young men and maidens and old men and children. In verse 14, it says God's saints and Israel. You go to four, chapter 149, verse 2, Israel and the people of Zion. And even in verse 5, it says the saints. And when you look at this list, no matter who you are, no matter what position you hold here on this earth, we are all called to praise the Lord. And so again, still looking at this who, there's kind of a good summary in chapter 150, verse 6. It just says everything, everything. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This verse kind of does summarize it all, that everything should praise God. He is the one who made it all. And so let all of creation lift up his name. But then that leads to another question with our W's. Well, where should all creation praise his name? And so as we're looking at where, the first thing is from the earth, okay? And that make, makes sense. In verse 7, it says, praise the Lord from the earth. Most of creation that we know of, that we interact with is on this earth. And so it makes sense that one of the places that we should offer up his praises is while we're living here on this earth. But then also it talks about from the heavens. And you'll find that in chapter 148, verse 1, or chapter 150, verse 1. Like right at the beginning of those chapters, it says, Praise the Lord from the heavens, or in the heights above, or in his mighty heavens. Now, you need to know that that word heavens doesn't refer to heaven like we think of where God dwells right now. But that word really means the idea of the expanse or the sky. And so if you think about that list of creation that is lifting its praise to God, think about that weather that is praising God. Some of those things are done in the vastness of the heavens. So you have the earth and the heavens. Well, where else? Well, also it says in the assembly of the saints, and again, the first verse of chapter 149, it says that we should praise in the assembly of the saints. The idea of the gathering of the believers, we ought to lift up his name. And there's a story of a church in an old town, and they were very sophisticated, and they were very dignified, and they were very quiet. And one day, a visitor, he showed up in the worship service. And so when the preacher began to preach about something, say something like, well, God is a good God, the visitor would shout out, well, praise the Lord. And everybody would kind of turn and look at this visitor. The preacher even paused because someone responded to something that I said. Well, the preacher continued going on and he'd said something like, well, God has provided for us. And the visitor, he again shouted, amen, praise the Lord. And again, everyone turned to look at the visitor. And so this occurred several times in the service. And finally, someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, please stop that praise the Lord stuff. Like, we don't do that in church. Can I just think about that? And I get that they were maybe uncomfortable with how everything was happening here in this moment. Like, how sad is it that praising God was actually discouraged in a setting where we're meeting together? You see, when we're together, it's a prime time to praise him. It's what we do when we come together for worship services, whether that's on Saturday or Sunday morning. It's what happens when you meet in a small group, when you meet with a group of men or women, or even in youth groups or kids' classes. Like, it can be such a fulfilling time in that praise is not intended for us, but there's this encouragement that as I'm giving praise to God, I'm not offering it up alone. I'm amongst a collective group. That's even one reason why I love it when our church, when South Rock does things with other churches, because South Rock is not the only Christians. And so let us lift up his name when we're together in a small group. 
when we're together in a large group setting, when we're together with other churches, because each one of those gives us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. We're called to praise him when we assemble together. But then there's also this other where. Where should we praise him? It says, on our beds. In chapter 149, verse 5, you're like, what? What do you mean, like, praise him while we're on our beds? You know, it says, the saints, let them sing for joy on their beds. And so there is joy as we get to praise as a group, but there is also an intimate experience in the offering up of praise when you're by yourself. And I'm not saying that you have to belt out songs at the top of your lungs, although some of you love to do that in the car or in the shower or when you're on a hike or any other time that you think you're alone. Maybe you're a little embarrassed when you find out that you're not. You're like, man, what did someone hear? But this idea of by yourself, we'll look at the how in just a moment, but I want you to understand that one of the times that you and I can offer up praise is when we are by ourselves. One other where is this idea of in his sanctuary. Again, in chapter 150, verse 1, it talks about praising God in his sanctuary. And so could this mean like in the tabernacle or in the temple, what we would call now today the church? It could be. Does it mean this idea of the place that he dwells in heaven? Again, it could be. Here's what I would tell you, that if you are in the place where God dwells, whether that's here on earth or whether that's in heaven, that you should spend that time to praise him. So as we're looking at this, we've looked at the what and the who and the where. Next, I want to look at the how, the one H, how. How exactly should we praise God based off our three chapters here? And the first is the idea of sing. All right, we see this in chapter 149, verses 1 and 5. It says, sing a new song, or it says, sing for joy. And singing is one of the most common ways that we think of with praise. You know, hey, I'm going to sing a, a praise song or something. You know, these songs that we lift up, they're lifting up God. They're about him. They're who he is. And so whether you can hit beautiful harmonies as you sing, or your singing falls more into the category of I'm trying to make a joyful noise, like either one of those, singing is a way that we praise God. But it's not the only one. We can also praise him by making music. In chapter 149, verse 3, or chapter 150, verses 3 through 5, like, listen to these instruments, the tambourine, the harp, the trumpet, the lyre, the strings, the flute, the cymbals, like, all of these instruments are used in the praising of God. I'm going to tell you, I absolutely love a good acapella song. I don't know if you do, like, just listening to the different parts. I love it when there's a set, you know, multiple songs in a row. I absolutely love that. But I also do love the sound of instruments and how it makes the sound even more full. Now, it doesn't mean that we're trying to do a concert when we're up here on stage. But we're using gifts, the things that God has given us, to be able to play as a chance to praise Him. Now, having told you that, I do want to give you one quick note. That the use of instruments to make praise for, Jesus, for God over and over in the book of Psalms is one reason that I would argue that it's not scriptural that you're not allowed to have musical instruments as part of a worship service. And I tell you that because you may not know this. There are certain denominations that would tell you that it's scriptural that we're not supposed to have musical instruments as part of worship service. And understand there's no judgment here, but I will tell you that some of my conversations with leaders in those denominations, most are actually saying, we understand now as we're looking at scripture that it's not something that God says, this is the way it must be done. But they would tell you that it's more of a preference thing. But here's this instrument idea. If you are able to play any type of instruments, you can use that to praise him. 
There's another way in our text. In chapter 149, verse 3, it talks about dance. Dancing for God. You know, praise his name with dancing. Again, it's a way to use your talents and your abilities to give him glory. The things that he's given you to be able to praise him back. That might mean a choreographed sequence. It might mean simply moving your body because of the joy of the Lord. And whenever I hear this idea of dancing for Jesus, like dancing for God, and some of you are like, man, that is way out of my wheelhouse. That is not me whatsoever. I think back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and there's this story about King David, and he is bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, this thing that represents this is where God is, and it had been taken by the Philistines through a battle, and so now they are bringing it back. However, they didn't do it properly. There were certain things that God had told the Israelites, whenever you move the Ark of the Covenant, this is the way to do it. And they did it improperly. And so at one point it was about to fall off and someone reached out to touch it. And as he did that, God struck him down dead. In that moment, David, like he's angry, he's confused. He's like, I'm trying to do this the way that God wants me to, but he hadn't gone back and looked at this. So they were close to someone's house and they decided to leave the Ark of the Covenant in this guy's like garage type thing. All right, and so he goes away, but over the next few months, he notices that this person is blessed by God. Where the Ark of the Covenant is, he is being blessed by God. And so David, they do their research, and he decides it's time to go and get it and bring it where it belongs. Only this time, they carry it the way that they're supposed to. And as they're doing that, the text tells us that every six steps that they would come, they would stop, and they would make a sacrifice to God. And it says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was so excited to have God's presence with his people. And as he was dancing, his wife looked out the window and saw him. And it says that she despised him. Like seeing his dancing, she despised him. And when she confronts him later on, David says, you know what? I wasn't dancing for you. I was dancing before the Lord. And I'm not afraid what other people think of me. In fact, I'll even become more undignified than what you see me. And it's not for show, but it's all because of who God is and what he has done in my life. And so one way that you and I can praise God is to dance for joy. Another way that we can uh, praise him is to rejoice and be glad. And you see this in chapter 149, verse 2 and 5. It says, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let us be glad in their king. Let them rejoice in his honor. This idea of rejoicing, it's an action. It's a verbal expression of joy. This idea of taking delight in. And it seems to me that one of the ways that you and I can praise God is simply to live out this joy that he has placed in our lives, both in our words and with our actions. And it doesn't mean that you have to be happy because of every circumstance that happens in your life. But even when those storms happen, man, you can feel joy that comes from knowing that God is right there. And not just that he's right there, but he's got you in his hand holding you up. Philippians 4.4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And so living in joy actually praises him. And so even if you can't sing well, you can't play any type of music, uh, your movements do not look anything like a dance, you can still praise through the joyful actions and words as you live. One other way as far as how do we praise him, and it's simply this, the idea of obeying. 
we can obey God. I don't know as you were listening to the text, there's these set of verses that almost seems out of place in chapter 149, verses six through nine. Like here's how it starts. It says, may the praise of God be in their mouths. Well, that sounds nice, but then it keeps going. And a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vigence on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentences written against them. This is the glory of the saints. Praise the Lord. Like, I don't know if you kind of read that and you're like, how does this fit with everything? And this idea of vengeance and sentences, how does that praise God? Well, most people would tell you that this section refers to when Israel went into the promised land. God had said, I want you to go out. I want you to take out these other nations to this land that is promised to you, these kings that are evil and not living the way that they should. And so the Israel goes in and does that. And in doing what God had said, they showed their faithfulness to him. And that obedience was a way to praise him. And you and I, when we obey still today, it's a way that praises him and says that your way really is supreme in my life. And so caring for someone or listening to people or serving someone else, loving your kids or being faithful to your spouse, those moments when you spend time with God or you give back to him with time or money when you're meeting together with other believers, when you're telling other people about who God is, any time that you obey what God asks you to do, that is an act of praise. And so there's a whole bunch of things there in our text. It's not the only ways that you can praise him, but it's what our psalmists wrote about, which then leads me to this next question of, well, why should I praise? All right, why should I praise him? And the first is that God created them. In chapter 148, verses 5 and 6, it talks about all of creation should praise God because he's the one that made them. He's the one that set everything into place. His laws, which everything abides by, will never pass away. And so if you're looking for a good reason to praise God, the fact that he made you is a really good place to start. Like he didn't have to do that. And yet he wanted to. He wanted to love you. This idea, uh, another reason why we should praise God is that he protected them. In chapter 148, verse 14, the author is saying that God raised up a horn for Israel, his people. Now, I don't know if you think of like a musical horn. I don't know if you think about a ram's horn, anything like that. But a horn in this setting is not a literal horn, but it refers to victory or power or a deliverer or a king. And so we, meant, we see the mention of horns quite often in part of the book of Daniel or in the book of Revelation about God raising up this deliverer. And so I can't tell you whether the author is trying to indicate one specific time in Israel's history or the fact that God continually over and over and over again rescued his people. But either way, the fact that God watches over us, that is a reason to praise him. Another reason to praise him is because God takes delight in his children. We saw that in chapter 149, verse 4. It talked about, I take great delight in his people, or he crowns the humble with salvation. Like God desires to be with us, and he wants to spend time with you. And I know that as he looks upon you, he feels proud of you, and your picture is up on his refrigerator. It's a really big refrigerator because lots of people, but like your picture is up there. And what's interesting is we praise God by rejoicing or taking delight in him, all the while he delights in you. Like that is a reason to praise him. 
Another reason is because God is great and he is powerful. In chapter 150, verse 2, it talks about praise him for his acts of power and his surpassing greatness. You see, not only did God create us, but he is the almighty that we've mentioned before. And those who are powerful, and they use that power for greatness, like they are worth praising. And so God is above all of us. And as such, he deserves our praise. Another reason why we should praise him is that God's splendor is above the earth and the heavens. In chapter 148, verse 13, it says God's majesty is seen everywhere. In fact, if you go over to Romans 1, it talks about just by looking around, like looking around in this earth that we live in, you should be able to see that there is a God because his works are evident. And so we should praise him because of this great canvas that you get to be part of. Like praise him because he chooses to write his story with you in it. Lastly, why should we praise God? Because his name alone is exalted. In chapter 148, verse 13, it basically says, there is no other name that is equal to God's. He is the supreme ruler. He is the one on the throne. And even in Philippians 2, it tells us that Jesus' name is now above all else because he was obedient to the Father, because he sacrificed himself for all mankind. So he has been given a position that everyone else is below him, that every tongue will confess his name, that every knee will bow because he alone is exalted. Like if you need a reason to give God praise, simply open up to Psalm 148 to 150, and there's plenty of them in there. So that gives us to our final W, and it's also the shortest, and that's this idea of when. Like when should we praise God? The answer is all the time. Now I have to tell you, there's not a scripture verse that just says you should praise God all the time. But it's kind of implied, like if you keep reading all this idea of, hey, in all settings, you should praise God. All creation, you should praise God. All purposes, you should praise God. I kind of get the feel, when should you praise God? How about all the time? Like there's not a time that is a bad time to give praise to him. So man, I know there's a lot of information in here, but as I'm reading chapters 148 through 150, I basically see praise, 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 like over and over and over again. So who is God? Like he is praiseworthy. And so here at the end of the sermon, I want you to think about this. Have you ever bought a house before? All right. And think about that process. Like what did your list look like of the things that you wanted in the house that you bought? And as you went from house to house, whether it was online or physically in them, did you find yourself getting excited as you were standing in one or looking at the pictures and just going, this is meeting our list. Could we see this? And all of a sudden that moment when you're like, this is it. Do you remember that? Or let me ask you this. If you're married, what was on your list for the person that you wanted to marry? You're like, okay, these things are something that I'm looking for. Like I heard one time someone say that the older you get, if you're still looking for a spouse, the list gets smaller until finally like there's one thing on it and says you're just looking for someone who's alive and that'll work. You know, I hope no matter what age you are, like you don't just settle for that. But here's what I would tell you. Like thinking about this idea about just who you're looking for. Do you remember falling in love with that person as they checked off the things that you were looking for? Even as you got to know them a little bit more, like, man, the excitement of that moment when you finally said, I do. Well, let me just tell you, there's a lot of people who are missing something in their life right now, and they are trying to figure out who God is, or is he worth following? From this series alone, I want to look at that list of who God is, this God that so many of us serve. 
Like we saw that God is our savior, that he saves us both daily and eternally. We looked at how God is our shepherd, that he leads us and he takes care of your needs. We saw how he is our maker, that you are fully known and you are fully loved by him. We saw how God is our victory. And so we don't have to get stuck in the small stuff that sometimes can seem overwhelming because God is the one who makes a way for us. We saw that God is almighty. He is completely powerful and there is no one else like him. We saw that he is our redemption and our forgiver. He's the one who bought us uh, back and he made us whole and he doesn't hold our sins against us. He's our refuge, our shelter amongst the storms. He's our deliverer that when life is completely overwhelming, he guides you through those. He is our constant helper, our enduring love, and he is beautiful. And all of this together, man, it should make me want to praise him with every fiber of my being. You know, the words of the classic hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, it says, were the whole realm of nature mine, like that would be a present far too small. It says, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul and my life and my all. And if you have been searching for what, or maybe more importantly, who is missing in your life to make it complete, can I be so bold as to say that it's Jesus Like if you haven't asked him to be your savior or your king, after listening to that list that he checks off, what else are you looking for? Like he is the answer to who you are and what your purpose is. He is the one who meets every need that you have. His name is the one that is above every other name. And if you build your life upon him, no matter the storms of life, as long as you are holding tightly to him, you will not be shaken. And today could be that day that for the rest of eternity, you look back on and you remember the words, I believe, I want him. And if that's you today, while we're singing this next song, which is all a praise to Jesus, I would encourage you to make your way to one of these decision points and talk with someone, what does this mean? And I get it, it may feel a little intimidating, walking back as everyone else is singing. But can I tell you, that every one of us in here would absolutely love it. We love it every time when someone finds their life, finds their joy in who they are through Jesus. We celebrate with you. And then ultimately, every bit of praise goes back up to him. And so don't be afraid. Like, take that step now. The rest of us, let's live this life giving all of the praise that we can to him. Let's stand and sing.